0: Hey, Lily, it's that time of the year, and tonight we have a special guest to help us celebrate it.
1: (gasps) OMG, it's not the ultimate delivery manager, Father Christmas, a.k.a. Santa.
0: No, 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 this is more of a product podcast than a delivery one, but we did get someone who's also a big, friendly fellow of a Scandinavian persuasion. It's (laughs) none other than the Mind the Product co-founder and EQT product partner, Martin Erickson.
1: Oh, that is a good present. I will definitely take it. I've been meaning to catch up with him to learn more about the decision stack and how he bases it all on a set of product principles.
0: Well, Gilly, you must have been good this year, because that's exactly what we're talking to him about. He gave an amazing talk on this last year at Mind Their Product in London, and he's been doing a lot more work on it over the past year, so it's going to be great to chat to him more about it.
1: Okay, let's not wait for the jingly bells. Let's get to it. <laughs>
0: the product experience is brought to you by mind the product every week on the podcast we talk to the best product people from around the globe
1: visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and discover loads of free resources to help you with your product practice you can also find more information about mind the products conferences and their great training opportunities happening around the world and online
0: Create a free account on the website for a fully personalized experience and to get access to the full library of awesome content and the weekly curated newsletter. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities. There's probably one near you.
1: Hi, Martin. How are you doing? Welcome to the Product Experience Podcast.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. Again, it's amazing to be on (laughs) with you as always.
1: So I'm sure there are very, very few people who don't know who you are, but just in case there are one or two listening, please do give us a quick intro to who you are, how you got into product, and what you are up to these days.
2: Yeah, I never like to presume that one either. So uh, yeah, (laughs) I've been in product, I guess, for over 25 years now. I started as a web designer, web developer in the 90s, uh, kind of building websites, actually started because I dropped out of university and spent more time in my computer lab building websites for the the first website for the student union, the first website for the student newspaper, things like that. I decided mm-hmm. maybe I should go do that for a while. Um, so yeah, designer, developer, realized I wasn't quite talented enough at either of those things, but was actually really good at translating between all those different teams. And so I ended up with my first product job in 1999 at Monster, the job board. Uh, and that's also when I moved to London from Sweden. And yeah, I've been doing product ever since, so product leader for many years, and then kind of first VP product in four startups in a row. And then in a side side job, I founded Product Tank and eventually co-founded Mind the Products, which together obviously are the world's largest community for product people. And you definitely have heard of that if you guys are listening to the podcast. <laughs> uh, somewhere along the way, I co-wrote a book about product leadership. And then for the last couple of years now, I have been a product partner at EQT, which is one of the world's largest investors with something ridiculous like 230 billion euros under management uh, in all over the world, over 230, no, 260 portfolio companies at this point. And so I'm kind of an in-house product advisor to all of those businesses. Well, not all at once, but trying to (laughs) support all of them in better product practices, org design, strategy, and all those good things.
1: Nice. So you're not that busy then. And uh, <laughs> I'm sure everyone listening will be uh, chiming in, thinking how grateful they are that you founded Mind the Product, um, along with the rest of the team because it's such a valuable resource to all of us.
2: It's been a blast, honestly. I never, never thought it would get to the size it was. Uh, and that was never the intention either. But yeah, it's been an amazing community to be part of and to help lead and shape. So uh, it was an amazing journey for me too.
1: So we're gonna have a chat today about the decision stack. And this is, how would you describe it? Like a framework or a tool?
2: I like to say mental model these days, cause I really don't want it to sound like a framework that you have, you know, frameworks to me <laughs> imply you have to like check the boxes and do exactly what it says on the tin and things like that. So I like to think of it as a mental model, just to, to remind us all that we need to have these elements in our businesses and in our products.
1: Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, cool. So a mental model, which helps you figure out how to structure the information that you need in order to successfully deliver for your business and for your customers. Is that kind of roughly how you describe it?
2: Yeah, I think I mean, it started four or five years ago now that I actually put pen to paper and um, actually started as a talk, I think that I gave it a leadership event. And it's just kind of the culmination of a lot of thinking about how to create that alignment, right? So I think the when we wrote the book, it was all about creating semi-autonomous or autonomous teams, what that means, how to empower your teams and enable them to build amazing products. And then I realized that not enough people are actually talking about that alignment piece. So how do we actually create that alignment? How do we make sure everyone has the context they need in order to be successful as an empowered team? And I think there's a lot of different thoughts and a lot of different ideas around that, but there wasn't really any kind of structured writing about it. And so I came up with the decision stack as as I said as the mental model really to make sure that we are connecting the dots both from the bottom to the top. So if you're an empowered team to be able to figure out why why are we building this thing and why does that connect to the business goals, strategy, vision, etc but also to be able to figure it out from top down, right? So as leadership, make sure that everything that you're doing actually does align with those company goals and the company strategy.
0: So for, for people who haven't seen the talk, who haven't read the, the articles about it, can we just get a quick overview of what are the components of it? Was it like, Let's start at the top and work our way down. So the way
2: I think about it is really five steps, right? So it starts with a vision or mission that sets out, you know, where are you going? What is that big... That big audacious goal that you have uh, might be something that's not even achievable in your lifetime, uh, but it's kind of a big rallying cry and a big mission, right, for the whole team.
0: And I'm sorry, Martin, that's not the product mission. That is the overall organizational mission, right?
2: Yeah. And I think that's the other thing with the decision stacks that exists at a lot of different levels, right? There is a slide in that deck that's called decision stack inception, right, where you have just lots and lots of different layers because the more complex your organization is, the more levels to the stack you probably have but the way i like to think about it is that mental model of those five steps really helps connect even if you know one it's a little startup with just five people around the table or you're a team of five within a giant organization like you still have your own decision stack it just then starts connecting to a bunch of other ones so from the vision mission it's about strategy so figuring out how are, what are the actions you're actually going to take in order to achieve that vision or mission uh then it's about uh objectives uh, I am partial to the OKR framework, but you don't have to use the OKR framework, obviously, for objectives. And then I love connecting it to Teresa Torres' opportunity solution trees. So the next step down is actually opportunities uh, and really getting teams to think about what are the opportunities we have in order to actually deliver on that those objectives and that strategy. And then finally, at the bottom of the stack is uh, principles which I think is one of the most important pieces and really outlines how we want to build the things that we've uh, decided to build in order to achieve those goals. And like I said, I think the, the actual elements of the decision stack I'm not super precious about. I think people can use them in different ways. And I've seen uh, people start using the decision stack in lots of different organizations and, and use different frameworks because maybe they don't like OKR, so they bring in um, NCTs instead and other frameworks that they want to use within the stack. So one kind of litmus test really for it all is whether or not you can connect the dots right from the top to bottom. So can you go to your management team and ask, you know, whether it's our vision and then ask them basically, how are we going to implement that all the way down to a feature that you're building or from the bottom up, right? Go ask the same question. Hey, we're building this feature. Why are we building that? And if you can't ladder that back up to a vision at the end of the day, then there's something kind of missing in your stack, whatever that is.
0: And... One thing I just want to – one thing I really like and I'd like to push a little bit more on is a lot of times we get confused when we talk about uh, vision and mission and then going down into strategy and things. A lot of times in the product is we're focused on the product vision and the product strategy. And there actually is a difference between a corporate strategy, once you get to a certain size anyway, between the corporate strategy and the product strategy, you're not necessarily using them to do the same things. And I love yeah. the way you visualize that. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between what is a vision, mission, and strategy at a corporate or company level versus at the, the product level? So I think it, the here
2: here comes the first one, right? It depends. We're going to get a few of those today, I think. Uh <laughs> Like most things in product, right? There's, there's no easy answer to that one. I think if you look at the simplest levels, if you look at a small startup or a small business, uh, I differentiate between or really what kind of product you're building, right? So if you're, if the product that you're building is the thing you sell, so you're in software, um, or, you know, you're building a service for, for a company, then your product strategy probably is your business strategy, right? Cause what you're trying to do in order to, uh, be successful in the marketplace is, deliver that product and so they're very much aligned on the other hand if you're in a space like e-commerce where your product is actually there to enable the thing you sell right we're not selling the e-commerce site it's a you know fairly well understood problem we're just trying to optimize and figure out the best way to sell whatever product it is that we sell then you're product strategy is probably going to be quite different from your business strategy because it's just one component of how you're going to enable the overall business strategy. Obviously, that's a simplified view. Um, and I think as you ladder up into more complex organizations, you get a lot more layers to it. But I do think they are intrinsically linked regardless. So even in big organizations, and this is a, a challenge I see all the time in our portfolio companies, among others, is that if you don't have a clear business strategy, it's impossible to set a product strategy right. And that's where these kind of challenges often come up of product teams not quite knowing how to set a strategy or not having the focus that they need and, and then getting challenged from leadership that they're not delivering quickly enough, those kind of things. It all stems from a lack of clarity at the business strategy level.
1: So in terms of the strategy element of the decision stack, it, it can often fall quite hard on product if that element of the decision stack isn't there. I think we feel the pain of that quite strongly. Um, how do we go into an organization, um, and figure out what the strategy should be? Like, what does that process look like? And I think sometimes for me, sometimes in my experience, it's a case of just uncovering what the strategy is that's there and articulating it. But sometimes there just really isn't a strategy and you have to start like completely from scratch.
2: Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, I think a lot of companies don't have a, a good strategy, uh, but then there are a lot of companies that actually have a, probably have a decent strategy. It's just stuck in the head of leadership or founders and it hasn't been communicated well enough. So I think that hits on two really important points, right? I think one, yes, we need to push for clarity in the strategy, but two, it's also comes down to communication, right? Cause, it, and actually understanding, right? There's a John made a quote that clarity comes from, transparency and understanding. And I think even when we are doing our best at kind of parroting an existing strategy and repeating ourselves to our faces turn blue, we forget to make sure that the team actually understands what that means. Right. So regardless, I think if there's a lack of strategy, I think um, it's really about pushing upwards and, and pushing your leadership. Cause I think leaders should be responsible for strategy and that's kind of the management leadership team or you know, depending on how complex your business is, obviously you might have different business units and things like that, but it is up at that kind of leadership level. Hopefully someone from product is at that level, um, whether it's you or your boss. And I think it's incredibly important to push for clarity on that strategy. And it's something I coach a lot of our product leaders uh, across our portfolio on, is kind of how to start doing that. And so really, I think it's forcing um, your leadership team to have that conversation and obviously it's easier if you're at the table than if you're asking someone else to do it on your behalf but i think pushing for those questions and asking lots and lots of awkward questions about why we're doing what we're doing i think is the only way to kind of challenge that conversation and and make sure that happens and so what i coach my product leaders on is really to keep asking why we're doing the things we're doing and keep highlighting the trade-offs. Because I think one of the things about strategy and and product in general is it's all about trade-offs. And strategy is just there to make those trade-offs a little easier or to agree on some overarching trade-offs, right? So it might be different geographies that you're going for. It might be different customer segments that you're going for. It might be different you know, parts of the customer problem that you're solving or not solving. And if you're don't have that clarity. That's when you end up pushing in and pulling in a million different directions. And so, just being able to ask that question of like, "Why are we doing this? Who's the customer? How you know? How can we prioritize this? How can we agree on what's the most important customer right now? What's the most important problem for that customer?" And I think product and the, our teams, the teams we work with, have a lot of power here because we're out there talking to customers all the time. If we're doing our jobs right, uh, we are doing the discovery together with you know our UX leaders we have a lot of insight to bring about what the customer wants and what the market wants. And so we can push for those conversations, but if we're not doing it, then we're kind of just accepting the fact that there's no clear strategy and and that just makes our jobs impossible basically.
0: So that leads into an interesting one. You talked about uh, how you coach leaders. Let's talk about people at the, the, well, all product people are leaders by definition, but that said, there is different kinds of leadership. So let's talk about more of the product manager, senior product manager type level. Um, where should they be in this stack? Where should they be primarily working? I mean, obviously, if you're working with a dev team one-to-one, then you're working at the epic and opportunity level. But what should your role be in vision and strategy and I know it's an it depends answer but give us give us some some context for that It's a, it's definitely
2: a sliding scale right I think it depends on the again the complexity of the organization but if you imagine so vision hopefully is clear and set and and if it's not it is definitely leadership's responsibility but should be done very openly I think 10 20 years ago we used to do all these things in you know ivory towers and and then bring out this amazing presentation at the offsite and tell everyone, here's our strategy and our vision. And then everyone kind of forgets about that PowerPoint three minutes later because they're on the downstore. I think the best way to do it is obviously not that. It's to be much more open about it, uh, to create it in the open, to co-create it with as many people as possible so that, again, building that understanding from day one I think the, so the vision strategy definitely owned by leadership, but should be as, as open and involved as possible. I think objectives and opportunities is where all product people should live, right? I think we should be pushing and shaping our, the objectives for our team, for our teams. If we're in, in leadership or senior product to your point, uh, even if you're an IC, right, you should be talking about what are the right opportunities for the area that you own, right? You own an area of the product, you own a customer group, whatever, whatever that ownership is. You should be the one pushing for what the opportunities are and what the objectives are for that group and be part of that conversation. Obviously, leadership will have their own take and there'll be some push and pull about how we combine that with company goals. But uh, fundamentally, I think that's probably where product people live the most. And then principles at the bottom of the stack is definitely owned by everyone because it kind of helps us all figure out how to do the day to day stuff. But we can dig into that more later if you want
1: when when you're advising the product leaders on strategy like where do you see people go wrong like where do you see the the biggest mistakes happening
2: i think honestly there's a seems to be a big aha moment just challenging them on the business strategy front right i think too many product leaders are too used to taking the kind of lack of clarity and then trying to make the most of it and figure out their own prioritization and things like that and i think especially if you're a product leader, if you're at, you know, at or near the table with the other uh, company leaders, then it's really our responsibility, I think, to push for that strategy. And so I've probably had the most success when I just kind of remind product leaders of that, and then let them go do their thing, right? I think, again, we have the tools, we know the, how to ask those questions. But I think it's just having the the ownership or the the sense that it's okay basically to challenge the rest of the company right and especially to challenge your ceo or your founder right i think in, in startup environments challenging the founder can be very tricky and it can feel scary um so i understand why that happens but i think that that's the biggest thing is just go have that conversation and uh, i think use all the insights that you have both from the customers but also from your team around like the challenges you're having of trying to prioritize things or the challenges you're having of trying to figure out how do we p- choose between customer A and customer B? Well, we don't have clarity. Have, you know, lift that up to your leadership team and have the conversation so that they understand why that's painful. And they don't just do the yes and, and have 10 for number one priorities. Right. I think that that's the conversation we have to push back on.
0: I actually had a CEO of a company once tell me, the, "said Randy, the problem with you guys is that you're an or company, we're an and company." And it was <laughs> the first time I'd actually ha- heard a CEO say it out loud. It was fantastic. It was it was terrible. It was awful. It didn't work very well, but it was uh, a. I was thankful that he had actually just said it out loud, so I knew exactly where he was coming from.
2: Yeah, and I think it's um, it's a challenge most companies come up against, right? And I think. Even the biggest companies out there, you look at uh, the Googles and the Facebooks, they have 50 60,000 engineers. They can't do everything they want either, right? We, we have to make choices. We have to make trade-offs. And, and the smaller the business is, if you're a startup or if you're starting a new business within an existing business, you just have to make some tough calls, right? And you have to be super focused and you have to do one thing really, really well. I think you know, it's a lesson I, I learned myself as a VP product of trying to build everything at once and you just can't do it well. You can't do any of it well. so. It's if we want that focus and we want to be able to provide that for our teams and we have to be able to push back on the rest of the management team to get that focus. right?
0: So so I also get to talk to uh, CPOs on a regular basis and something you talked about earlier and we're we're alluding to just now the perception at at uh, the the C suite level of the product team is often, oh, you're not moving fast enough. You're not innovating quickly enough. You're not doing, you know, especially in founder led companies where they were there when it was early and they've got their survivor bias of oh, this worked before. Why isn't it going as quickly now? How do you how do you deal with that? How do you advise people on that? And where have you seen examples of this? Uh, and
2: yeah, I mean, I I think I see it every every week at least uh, in the, our portfolio and it's not to call anyone out but um exactly those questions right and i think it's kind of hilarious to me when i end up at a in a board meeting and there i've been i'm asked there to advise on why engineering is so slow or something like that right and engineering efficiency i think came up a couple of weeks ago and i just i find it ridiculous in so many ways because it's just the wrong conversation to have at that level right if the board is talking about engineering efficiency so many other things have gone wrong but really, that's a symptom, I think, of that conversation, right? And I think we even saw just recently um, Brian Chesky, right, of Airbnb, kind of talking about uh, how he's you know, taken back the reins and how he's frustrated that his teams haven't been delivering and nothing seems to have changed in the product. And I think it all comes back to that same central point of like there's a lack of leadership and there's a lack of strategy. So I think... We can't expect our product teams, our engineering teams, our design teams to be efficient and, and make big impacts if they're doing a thousand things. Like We all know that's just not possible. But if we can help them focus and, and own 10 things and do ridiculously good work for those 10 things, of course they're going to move faster and do have a bigger impact on the business. So it's really f- frustrating when you get that feedback, when you hear that conversation at the board level, but it's also an opening to show why, this lack of strategy is so important. And I think for most of those people, it's really easy to articulate because I think there's there's two things. One is the easiest litmus test again is just to go out and ask their team, right? And I do this fairly often because I, I have a fairly carte blanche approach with our company so I can go and just have conversations. And you, know, you can go ask 10 people in the company what the strategy is or what the vision is and inevitably you get 10 different answers. And then you can take that to leadership and show this isn't working guys like there's, there's something wrong here but i think also they they can sense it themselves and they sense it through that frustration but when you highlight it to them why it's happening and bring them back to the roots right i think especially mm-hmm. founder led when you can bring them back to what it felt like when they were you know 10 of them around the table all pulling in the same direction all working on the same problem that's kind of what we want to get them back to and i actually use that analogy quite a lot for bigger companies and the big corporates that I go into and, and scale-ups is really the best product teams out there are those five, 10-person startup teams, right? But that's because they they're have they incredibly aligned. They have an incredibly high bandwidth communication. Uh, even if they're not sitting in the same room anymore, they, they're they talking to each other every single day. They know exactly what they're working on, why, who the customer is, and the focus is there. And all we're trying to do with Empowered Teams, and now if we bring in the decision stack to align those Empowered Teams, is to replicate that model and have lots and lots of those little teams Owning their problem and really working away at it,
0: and obviously none of us are at Airbnb. We don't know intimately what's happened in in there. But I actually took it had a, a different take than most people on it. In that, I really liked what Brian Chesky said. I didn't like the way he he put product in the in the crossfire for it. Obviously, but what he was saying, if you read between the lines, is. There were lots of roadmaps out there. There was no consistent vision and strategy, and he was centralizing things to provide that. It was acknowledging what the problem was and putting uh, steps in place to, to create a better environment for product thinking and ultimately product people to succeed as well as along with everyone else. It's just, uh, I didn't like the way he expressed it.
2: (laughs) Exactly. No, I completely agree. I just, I think he probably, you know, he threw, threw the wrong people under the bus. I don't know if that was to, to get attention or to, you know, out of sheer frustration, but I think, you know, it's, it's not the product team's fault that that is happening basically.
1: Um, and one piece of the decision stack that we haven't talked about is principles, So tell us what good principles look like.
2: So I think it's um, an incredibly important part. And it's actually one of the ones that I started digging into the most as I was talking to people. um, And obviously, my talk about it, if anyone's seen it, was based on that. And really, to me, it comes down to um, kind of taking that strategy and translating it into action right so the best the best strategies out there are very good at articulating those trade-offs like i said and really calling out we're focused on this customer over that customer or we're focused on this geography not that geography and sometimes it can be really hard to keep that in mind in the day-to-day decision making that we do in product teams and so principles to me are the way to articulate that right if you can take those trade-offs and you can really articulate them in principles they become much easier ways for the team to remember Uh, what trade-offs they're there to make my my favorite example of this and i learned this very early on is that first uh job at the first product job at monster back in 1999 and monster is a job board right so we have job seekers on one side and recruiters on the other it's like any two-sided marketplace and so when i first joined the product team we were having the same argument every single time for every single feature that we built like do we build this in the job seeker friendly way or do we build this in the recruiter friendly way And you can imagine lots and lots of debate and lots of time wasted for even small features until I one day just kind of pulled our CEO and co-founder into the room and asked him the question. And he kind of listened for a few minutes and was like, wait a minute, everything we should do or everything we do should be job seeker first, because if we make an amazing experience for them, then the recruiters will come. And that was a re-articulation of the strategy that wasn't clear enough to me at the time, obviously. Um, but then became a, a principle really that we followed from thereafter. And suddenly all those debates just go away. You don't have to have that argument every single time. You don't have to have that discussion. You know that in any single trade-off, job seekers will always come first. And so those kind of principles, I think, are the most um, important ones to find. And they're a, a strong reflection of your strategy, but really help your team make day-to-day decisions.
0: So, Lots of companies talk about their principles and they talk about their values and you know these things that just end up on a wall. But fundamentally, I think you mean something different than what most companies say when they're saying you know what's come up with values. So just to be really clear about it, what is the difference? What are what are principles actually?
2: So a lot of companies obviously have values. They might call them principles. You know, I think the most famous example is I sure, every product company out there has some version of build a delightful user experience, right? And there's nothing wrong with having that value. Of course, that's something we all aspire to. But that doesn't help anybody in your team make a decision. That's the big distinction for me. Nobody in that team is coming into a meeting or a debate about a product feature or how to solve a customer problem saying, let's build a shitty user experience, right? No one is then pointing at the wall and going, wait a minute, that doesn't fit to our values. So, I have nothing really against values. I think it can be very important to have that conversation about how do we want to work? What are the things that we think are important? How do we want to communicate those kind of values? But fundamentally, principles to me are very different and they really have to be there to help you make decisions. They have to highlight those trade-offs. They have to help you make those day-to-day decisions. And and we all know product people, designers, engineers, we all face thousands of decisions every single day, right? So the more that we can reduce that load and, and help everyone kind of almost automatically be more aligned with the company goals and and company strategy the better right
1: how do companies who haven't defined a set of principles how do they go about um uncovering what those should be
2: i think there's a a a good aha moment in that right and just having that conversation i've gotten a lot of amazing feedback after the talks of just like oh yeah no we haven't had that conversation and so literally just going back to your team and and talking about what are those trade-offs right one of my favorite tools for that is the even overstatement, right? It's something that's very good at helping you highlight, you know, those trade offs. Like I said, job seeker, even over recruiter, for example, for Monster. And just like the Agile manifesto, right? We value change over following a plan. For example, it doesn't mean following a plan isn't important. It just means in any trade off, uh, change is more important. And so I think even overstatements can be a great way. And it's actually much easier for teams than you think to just go do some brainstorming about like, okay, what is our, what do we think our vision strategy is? Assuming that's clear. And then talking about the trade-offs inherent in that strategy and then using even overstatements to try to find some of those um, principles that you could tease out. Um, and they don't have to be, you know, consumer groups or, or markets. They don't have to be consumer first i think you know shopify has a famous one about putting merchants first they don't use the even over statement because they don't need to but you know their marketplaces focus on the other side of that uh, equation Klarna for a long time had one about conversion trumping profitability just to keep their teams focused on converting even over kind of that last optimization of of every profitability cent that might now have changed in the recent macroeconomic environment obviously that's the other thing these things do change but I think it's just having that conversation with your team about what are the trade trade-offs uh, in your strategy? What are the debates that you consistently have as a team? What are the things that come up in retros that aren't clear enough? Um, I think on, out of those, you can quite easily, with most teams, tease out two or three good principles that suddenly make everyone's life a little easier.
0: So let's... let's... Bring this all back together to to the decision stack and how it all works. So you've got the principles as the bottom uh, of the stack, the kind of the bedrock of it. So you work your way down from mission and vision, and then down through essentially the opportunity tree of uh, opportunities and epics and and things like that. And then it's ultimately when you have a question about how are we going to do this. Why are we going to do it this way? How do we work together? That's when you turn to the principles. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, I think it's, for me, it's that visualization, which is very hard to get across on a podcast, but the stack from top to bottom answers that question of how, right? So how are we going to achieve this vision? Well, here's our strategy. How are we going to achieve that? Well, here's the objectives for this quarter. How are we going to achieve that? Here's our opportunities. Okay, well, how are we going to build up? Here's our principles. But also, importantly for me, it kind of goes the, the other way around, right? So for an individual team, they can look at a principle and go, why are we doing this? Well, it's attached to our strategy. Okay, um, why are we building this thing? Well, because it connects to this objective. Why is that important? Because it connects to the strategy and so on, kind of up the ladder. So I think principles are one of those tricky ones in the mental model that it could probably come after strategy could um, before objectives. But for me, really, it helps with that mental model of kind of reminding us to ask the, the how and the why uh, is why it's kind of ended up at the bottom of the stack.
1: And what kind of feedback have you had from people? Um, you mentioned that, uh, you know, you'd had some some great feedback from some of the talks that you've done. Um, yeah. How have people responded to this mental model?
2: Yeah, there's uh, there's a bunch of companies out there using it, big and small. Um, I've been out, asked out to help some really big corporates kind of use it as a tool to enable their digital innovation and their um, digital transformations. So I think it kind of been helpful at all levels of scale really and i think one of the big things that i'm encouraging is like i said to treat it as a mental model and not to see it as a kind of framework of must have pieces right i don't i don't really care if you don't use opportunities if you want to talk about problems or epics that's fine i think in an early version even used epics instead of opportunities uh again if you want to use ncts instead of okrs use that but Again, the litmus test is really being able to ask those questions from the top to bottom and, and bottom to top. So, I think it's just help people unlock some of those conversations uh, with each other, but also with their leadership team, right? And I think if it can succeed at that, then I'm then it kind of is doing its job for me, right? Uh, if it can encourage our our product managers, product leaders out there to have a conversation with leadership, challenge them on that clarity, and and maybe present them with some ideas around what. They think that strategy should be. I think it just helps us all uh, do our jobs a little bit more easily.
1: Nice. Martin, thank you so much for joining us. Um, We have now run out of time officially, but um, it's been really, really great digging into this. Um, Personally, I have found it incredibly useful and I've used it loads um, in my work. So, um, yeah, I really, really appreciate you sharing this mental model with me and the rest of the product community.
2: Amazing. Thank you. And I'm going to keep honing away at it and sharing examples. So uh, watch this space.
1: Awesome.
0: Thanks, Martin.
1: The Product Experience is the first and the best podcast from Mind the Product. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith.
0: And me, Randy Silver.
1: Lou Ron Pratt is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor.
0: Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band PAU. That's P-A-U. Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who curates both Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank. Regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide.
1: If there's not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank.